Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to this special Olympic edition of the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Vitaflex. This is going to be a great episode. Aviva and I have the honor of speaking with Olympic frontrunner Adrian Lyle, who has not one, but two horses named to the shortlist. Salvino, ranked number one, and Harmonies Duval, currently ranked number six. That's pretty amazing, Aviva, isn't it? That is just incredible. What a, what a remarkable rider and what fantastic horses she has. I can't, you know, to, to, get, to get shortlisted is an accomplishment, but to have two horses is... I can't even, I can't even imagine. I can't wait to yeah. talk to her. That is something so exciting for us to look forward to later this evening. It is. But before we get to that, Aviva, you have some of your own news to share. Not quite as exciting as being shortlisted for the Olympics, but I do have some exciting news. So on our last podcast, we talked a little bit about our riding horses, and I shared with our listeners that um, my horse, Leo, is a little bit of a difficult child, and that I had reconciled myself to the fact that I probably wasn't going to make it into the show ring with him, and he probably was not going to be the horse that was going to earn me my pre-St. George scores for my silver medal. And a couple of months ago, I accidentally fell into a lease on an older gentleman who's kind of been there and done that, who's competed um, up to the fourth level, very successfully, I might add, both with professionals and with amateurs. And I leased him for a couple months and just fell head over heels in love with this guy. Um, He's not all that much fun to ride. He's kind of opinionated and maybe a little bit grumpy under saddle we're getting to know one another but there's just something very special about him and I just the first time I met him I just fell in love with him and after having him in the barn for two months I talked to his owner and made her an offer and I can tell you that I am the proud owner of um, a wonderful 19 year old gelding whose name is Tiger And I'm very excited to be on a new journey. And I think he's the one who's going to be earning me my medal. Well, that is very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Cheer. Woohoo. Cheer. Clap, 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 clap. (laughs) He's super, he's super cool. He's, he's a big boy. He's not quite 17 hands. Um, And he's, I called him a mahogany bay. My trainer called him a blood bay. So nice. Um, Very nice. He just has this wonderful, wonderful presence about him. Everyone who's worked with him from my vet to my farrier, to the woman who does my long lining, um, to the person who does my magna waving, everyone has just fallen in love with him. He's just a class act. And a 19-year-old horse (laughs) who still sound yeah and willing and oh I'm this is just this is just a dream come true for me he's I've always had two horses to ride 
And since the pandemic, I've only had Leo and to have a second horse, you know, it, it's funny, Stephanie, even Leo is going better. Um, not to anthropomorphize, but I think he's a little bit jealous oh. of all the attention that he's now sharing. And I think it's also, you know, you take the pressure off one when you start putting some pressure on the other. Right. And I can now go from one to the other. And if I have a bad ride on one, the other one might be a good ride. And I'm not, I'm not feeling the, the sense of pressure to do the things that I feel like I need to do on either one of them. I'm just enjoying riding again. Good. Well, and that's important. Yeah. So stay tuned. Yes, definitely. We will, we will be expecting updates. Well, it's as- not real fit, so it's going to be months before we're ready to go into the show ring. But my goal is to hopefully hit the show ring in the fall. Right, right. So fingers crossed. Yep. Well, that seems like that sounds like a good a good goal. And you have your bronze medal, correct? I do. And I and I have my scores for fourth level. Um, I got them on one horse and then he broke. And then I got them on another horse who unfortunately was very, very sick at the time that I was getting the scores. He has a bizarre metabolic disorder that took us a year to diagnose and um he was going to be my FEI horse, but instead he's fat and happy and living in the field <laughs> with Tiger um, and having a marvelous life and eating me out of house and home. Of course. <laughs> yeah, so I'm up to five now. Okay. Well, at least you have two that are rideable. So that's it, a good thing. Exactly. It's 40%. So that, that's better. <laughs> And yes, yeah, so so we will check back with you from time to time and see how everything's going there and, and uh, hopefully hear about all your positive progress. Sounds good to me. For our Ask the L segment, we have another great question for you. Okay. This this one comes from Mary Pat, and it is, is a schooling show a show, or is it schooling? Ah, that is a good question. Um, thank you, Mary Pat. I like this one. It's very similar to the one that, we a- that I answered in the last podcast about um, where do you, at what level do you compete? And we talked about the difference between schooling shows and licensed competitions. So it's this is a very interesting question because I know that depending on who the organizer of a schooling show is, the answer to that question can be very different. Um, I do a lot of judging for the Frederick area dressage shows, which is a loose collaboration of area barns Um, who put on their own shows and there's no membership. It's just, they're fun. And for the most part, those shows are schooling. So if you come down center line and you make a mistake and you make a circle, it's okay. Um, If you want to repeat a movement, if you talk to the judge ahead of time and say, I'm really, I'm really here for the schooling. If I make a mistake, I might repeat something. If you tell the judge that up front, usually that flies pretty well and everybody's pretty comfortable with that. So for those shows, um, it's schooling and it just happens to be 
with a judge sitting at sea and you get a test sheet and you get comments from the judge. I'm also a member of a couple of GMOs here. One of them is Potomac Valley Dressage Association. I'm also a member of Virginia Dressage Association. And I can't remember if I paid my dues this year or not for Maryland <laughs> Dressage Association. Uh, but I do judge generally for all three of those GMOs. And those are more serious. And those, while they are still schooling shows, I would say that those are shows. Yeah. You don't have the liberty of making a circle if you made a mistake. You don't have the liberty of redoing a movement um, if you want to see how you do it. You are riding through the entire thing, and at the end, most of the judges will give you some comments about what you did well and what you need to work on. So depending on where you go and depending on who the organizer is, that can be a very different answer. Um, my recommendation to you, Mary Pat, and to anybody else who is listening to this who has this question is, if you want to go and school, and by school, I mean more than just ride through the test and see how it goes, but also repeat movements if there is a mistake, talk to the show manager before the show and talk to the judge before you enter when they ring the bell or blow the whistle. Um, depending on the number of entries and depending on the times that have been assigned to rides, you may have a little bit more flexibility in schooling. Um, and it's certainly worth asking if that's what you want to do. And it's a great experience. And especially for those horses that have figured out that going from the warm-up ring into the show ring means that they can get away with a whole bunch of stuff in the show ring. Um, it's a way of teaching them that, no, you still have to listen and be on my, my aids in the show ring, because guess what? We can repeat that movement until you get it right. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, actually, I, I showed quite a bit at those schooling shows for PVDA and, and um, well, what we called Vada Nova, the Northern Virginia chapter. And um, I used to consider them really kind of mini licensed shows because there was good competition. There were a lot of people there that then would show at a licensed show later. They'd use it maybe as a warm-up or getting a young horse out or something. But that those were definitely um, def definitely better competition shows, and and it was still a little more relaxed than the licensed competitions. But, but they, they were, were definitely more serious. Yeah. yeah. And with the new USDF schooling show um, awards. Um, I think it's it's important to note that if you do want to do schooling at some of these, you know, quote, recognized schooling shows, um, you will probably need to ride HC, which means that you'll get a score and you'll get a score sheet and you'll get comments from the judge, but you won't place in the class right. because these are serious and people are looking for high score awards at these various shows. And it is it is serious competition and it isn't always just, you know, warming up for the license competition. A lot of people with the, you know, with the expensive showing now are, are, are choosing to spend a lot of their dollars on schooling shows and really perfecting things before they go down center line at a licensed competition. Because as we talked about in our last podcast, you know, if you're going to go spend that kind of money, you want to go out and you want to be competitive and you want to do well. So this is a great way to, to seriously get your feet wet before you head down that licensed show line. 
Yeah. Well, of that is also great in, insight again. Um, and I appreciate your perspective. And we thank Mary Pat for that question. Um, and remember, if our, you, our listeners, have a question about showing or judging, feel free to email me at sruff at equinenetwork.com or reach out to us on Dressage Today's social media. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have our interview with Olympian Adrian Lyle. Welcome to Vitaflex, where performance is everything. Over the last 25 plus years, Vitaflex has lived by their goal to provide innovative products specifically designed for the extreme requirements of high caliber equine athletes. Trainers, owners, and top riders demand the best, and that's why they rely on Vitaflex Pro products, because they deliver results. Every single product is backed by extensive research, testing, and is formulated to help you achieve the ultimate in performance. Visit Vitaflex.com today to browse their selection of equine health supplements, antioxidants, joint supplements, and more. That's V-I-T-A-F-L-E-X.com. Vitaflex Pro, the fine line between good and great. American dressage rider and Olympian Adrian Lyle has been a frontrunner in the country's top ranks of dressage for more than a decade. Born and raised in a small town in the state of Washington, horses have always been a part of Adrian's life. She first had the opportunity to ride with her future coach and Olympian Debbie McDonald as a working student in 2005. In 2006, Lyle earned the ride on Wizard, the 1999 Oldenburg Gelding, owned by Peggy and Perry Thomas. The combination would move to the Grand Prix level together and win numerous prestigious titles, including the 2008 USEF Young Adult Brentina Cup. They also competed individually at the 2012 London Olympics. In 2018, she was selected to her second WEG team after competing on all three U.S. Dressage Nation Cups teams, helping the U.S. earn gold at FEI Dressage Nations Cup USA, bronze at the FEI Dressage Nations Cup the Netherlands, and silver at the FEI Dressage Nations Cup Germany. She currently has two horses on the shortlist for the Tokyo Olympics, Salvino and Harmonies Duval. Adrian, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your very busy schedule. Um, and even though you're feeling a little bit under the weather, uh, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Dressage Today podcast. Thanks for having me. So to start with, we always like to hear a little bit about people's backgrounds. So how did you get interested in horses and riding? Yeah, um, I have been interested in horses my whole life. It was never specifically dressage. I grew up on a little farm and we just kind of had backyard horses and, you know, ranch horses that we trail ride on and stuff. And I was always just obsessed with them from the time I was a little kid. And, you know, we had them on the farm, we had access to them and I just spent my days, you know, being around them and playing with them. And there was always a fascination there. Were you one of those little girls that uh, fell in love with horses and never grew out of it? 
Absolutely. Despite my dad was waiting his whole life for me to outgrow the phase. I think he's slowly beginning to accept that it might not happen. Okay. Maybe, maybe at this point, it's time for him to, uh, to realize that I think. So who were some of your mentors or people who have influenced your writing over the years? Um, I mean, starting way back at the beginning, um, I, my first any kind of formal instruction I had was through the United States Pony Club and our mm -hmm. local chapter of it in the South Whidbey Pony Club. And there are, you know, too many wonderful parents and moms to list there, but it was really, you know, a community effort to haul our horses around and let us kids get together and ride together and um, without their support, for sure, it would have been hard to pursue what we wanted to. Yeah. Um, then on the island, I rode uh, with Carol McArdle and Trina Atkins a little when I started getting into dressage. And then from there, obviously, I sought out the help of Debbie McDonald when I was a little bit older. Um, so did you always plan on wanting to be an equine professional or did you have something else in mind? Yes, that is all I ever wanted to be. I didn't know in what capacity, you know, um, we weren't really from a horse show family. I didn't really know if that was going to be in my cards necessarily, but I always knew I wanted to work with horses somehow. Um, and I actually have very vivid memories of being in, I don't remember, maybe fifth grade or something. And we had these people come in for career day and you had to do aptitude tests and you sat down and you filled in all these bubbles, you know, where are you good at this? Would you like to do this? And I remember telling my teacher that I didn't need to participate because I already knew what I was going to do. I was going to train horses. And I remember her very politely kind of going, well, that's, that's nice, sweetie, but that's not a real job. You know, you have to complete this test. And I was just knew in my heart. I said, no, I don't. I already know what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you followed through. That's for sure. <laughs> so then what is it about dressage that attracted you? How did you get really serious into dressage? Yeah, I think a lot of people were surprised actually that I did become fascinated in dressage because I was kind of a daredevil as a kid. You know, I always wanted to run the fastest on the horses and jump the biggest and swim the farthest on them and do all of that stuff. Um, but I think what really fascinated me by dressage was the fact that I was on my own a lot. I didn't have a whole lot of instruction. Um, I jumped all the jumps at our farm. We put all the standards up to the highest thing. And since I didn't have anyone telling me how I could do that better, <laughs> I, but I got a hold of some dressage videos and I watched them and I just thought it was so fascinating. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is complicated. This I can spend all my days on and still not be able to get it right. <laughs> Um, and so now you have, currently you have two horses shortlisted for the Olympics. Could you tell us a little bit about each one of them, what their personalities are like and what they're like about the, around the barn and, and in the competitions? Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, so the first one is Salvino, who's a Hanoverian stallion owned by Betsy Giuliano. Um, we got him when he was uh, an eight-year-old. We found him in Spain. Um, he is just um, an absolutely incredible horse. I always feel so honored just to be able to ride him. He's the kindest, sweetest stallion you'll ever be around, but he is like truly an amazing competitor. And he always seems to take whatever's going on outside the ring. If there's ever any issues, he puts it aside. And when he goes down center line, it's like he's got your back for you. And it's a pretty amazing feel. And then the other one, who's another wonderful horse, is Harmony's Duval, who's a year younger. Um, he was bred here in the U.S. Um, at Harmony Sport Horses. Um, he is owned by a syndicate of people now, 
but he's been in my life since he was just turning five years old. Um, and he hadn't even been saddle broke yet. So he's been in my life a little longer and we've kind of done the whole journey together from training level on up. (laughs) And so they're both really wonderful horses and it's, it's pretty amazing to have them both shortlisted for the Olympics for sure. Well, and this isn't even your first trip to the Olympics. Um, so can you tell us a little bit what it's like to compete there and, um, how does it feel to have the chance to go back again? Yeah, I think, you know, the Olympics is always the pinnacle of everyone's, you know, competition dreams, um, for, you know, multitude of reasons, but the Olympics is really, yes, it's the, you know, the, the top competition, but it's also so much more than just a a horse show. You know, you have athletes from all around the world. You have a real sense of camaraderie of the world kind of coming together and uniting behind something. And I think, uh, it's just a really special atmosphere that you don't get anywhere else in the world. And there's such a honor for representing your country when you go there. You know, you really realize how many people are behind you, how many people are watching at home, how many people travel there to cheer you on. And it's an incredible feeling. Yeah. Um, and well, but dressage is generally a solo sport, or at least solo you and the horse anyway. Um, so what is it like to be part of a team and is there a difference competing with a team compared to competing on your own? Yeah, I think there is definitely a big difference. Um, you know, it, it is a solo sport when you go down the, down the center line, but there is such a huge, your own personal team behind you, you know, to always, to get you to these competitions of your trainers and your vets and your farriers, right. and your owners and everyone behind that. But then when you're riding on a team to where it's not just the result for yourself that matters but the result matters for your teammates um I think it's a it's an added honor and an added pressure for sure but it's also uh, one of the coolest feelings to know that you know every other teammate is watching <laughs> your every footfall out there and, and every step you take matters to not just you but to everybody in that kiss and cry area and that holding box as well <laughs> Yeah, no pressure, no pressure at all, right? <laughs> but I, I also think it helps, you know, having having the camaraderie there. It, it really, you can feel it when you go in the ring, yeah. you know, and you see all the USA flags waving, especially if you're at international competition. Sometimes right. you don't realize what a contingency you have, and all of a sudden you go out in that ring and you see the flags and the banners waving, and you hear the people cheering, and it's a pretty cool feeling. Well, so do you typically get nervous in that type of environment? I think everybody gets nervous before big competitions. I, you know, I think if you just say you have no nerves, you're not alive (laughs) for sure. But I think um, my most helpful thing is that you just come to expect it, you know, so that if you do feel a little bit of nerves, you're not saying, oh my gosh, I'm getting nervous. You know, you just say, this is a big competition. This is to be expected. And then once you throw your leg over and you're in the saddle, at least for myself, those nerves are always gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what I always find to be the longest hours are the hours leading up to getting on the horse through your sitting and waiting and right. planning and going through the test in your head. But once you're on the horse, you're so focused on them and it kind of clicks into your everyday routine, things you've practiced 10,000 times over and then you're just kind of in the moment. So then do you have a typical routine that you do before a big competition? Um, yeah, you know, everything in your, your preparation, you've tried through trial and error and have tweaked little things around and, um, 
say if it's a night class, you know, say the competition is going to happen in the evening, you know, maybe you have to get on in the morning and stretch him a little bit, maybe X number of hours before I take him out for a hand walk. So he's loose, you know, this many hours before he gets a magnetic blanket. And these are all things you play around with. So by the time, hopefully you get to a biggest competition, mm-hmm. you have found, uh, you know, the, the routine that works best. And then I think it is really important for the horse that you don't then change it up when you're there. You know, they don't know if it's a big competition. We don't right. want them to know it's a big competition. Right. So <laughs> we want everything to stay routine. So they just feel like this is what I do every day. I know my job. My people aren't worried. There's no nervous energy around me. Yeah. You know, just another day at the office for them. Um, do do your two horses, do, those, do they have different kind of routines that you need to get them ready? Or are they fairly similar? They're a little bit different. They're a little bit different personalities. Salvino, I would say, is much more, he's got that stallion mm. self-confidence. Yeah. You know, he, he can walk into a big stadium and <laughs> never gets flustered by the energy. Duval right. is a, a little bit more insecure and he looks to his people a little bit more for needing confidence. Um, so Duval, for example, if when we were at Aachen for uh, the four star there a few years ago he was fairly overwhelmed by the <laughs> amount of people and the crowds and the vendors and everyone standing around the stadium area so I think I must have had him out hand walking 10 times a day you yeah. know get him out let him see it put him back we get him out let him see it <laughs> feed him some carrots you know make it a positive experience and just so his brain could uh, kind of process all that or Salvino needs to get out and see it once or twice but he's fairly unimpressed by most situations <laughs> he's the most important thing there right (laughs) he thinks so yes exactly (laughs) well so you you know you mentioned the crowds and and the flags and all that sort of thing but this olympic games is going to be different because it's not going to have spectators Mm -hmm. so how do you think do you think that will change the event and the environment i think it will be different from previous olympics for sure i think any athlete that makes it to this Olympics understands what a huge undertaking it will have been right. to pull it off. Yeah. So I think we will, they will be glad to have it go on in any kind of capacity. Um, and that's, you know, even more reason that your team needs to be cheering extra loud, I guess. <laughs> um, but I mean, make no mistake that the competitors are going to be just as serious and just as competitive and just as hungry oh, as sure. if there was a crowd because the title is still the title and you, you can bet that each rider there wants to win it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, then the, the last question I have for you is something that I like to ask, um, everybody. And that is just what in your mind makes a good horse person? That is a great question. I think there's, God, you could answer that one for days, but (laughs) I'd say, I think one of the most important things is listening to them and whatever, whatever format that, you know, that comes in and realizing that just because we have a plan and have an idea of how things go, doesn't necessarily mean that that's always going to be their idea. And I think being a good horse person means reading the horse in the situation is he understanding? Is he frustrated? You know, why is he acting out? Where are you miscommunicating? And then being humble enough to change your approach. You know, there's been plenty of times where I said, well, I, I thought I was explaining it perfectly clearly. I've trained many other horses this way, but obviously you're not getting it. So I need to back up a few steps and I need to figure out 
how to explain it to you differently. And I think never letting yourself get an ego to where you think they need to learn it your way. <laughs> you know, yeah. they don't need to. You need to learn how to explain it to them in a way that they understand. Right. That's that's very, yeah, that's very, very true. And um, not always easy because. Nope. <laughs> and they will always keep you humble. That's for sure. They will. That's the one thing I've learned over and over again. It doesn't matter what level you're at, you know, how many horses you've owned, what discipline you ride. Horses will definitely keep you humble. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, well, I, I, first of all, I want to wish you the very best of luck. Um, I look forward to, uh, if all goes well, I will be at the, um, observation event in June. Super. So I, I wish you the best of luck with both of your horses. And I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. No, oh, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks again to Adrian Lyle for joining us today. And thanks also to our sponsor, Vitaflex. Visit them at vitaflex.com to learn more. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.